What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jake Hofer, and this week we have a great guest, Nate Hicks. Nate has an unmatched story, in my opinion, and uh, man, he has a full circle situation where you get to hear about how he prioritized to save and then went on the offense and went and bought a farm, and uh, that's really where the story starts because, man, awesome, awesome story. I hope you guys really stick with this one to the very end because there is just some incredible... um, this is an awesome story. It'll make you feel good. So I uh, want to say thanks to Nate for taking the time to record this. And what, something else that's pretty exciting. Last week was the one-year anniversary of the Land Podcast. So, man, it's been one year. I want to say thank you to everyone that was here in the beginning and everyone that has uh, joined along the way. Gosh, it's been so rewarding to help so many people this past year and inform so many people, get in contact with so many awesome folks. So just want to say thank you to everyone. It's been so great, and I'm even more excited for this upcoming year. If you're new to this and you haven't heard it before, the goal of this podcast is pretty simple. It is to help 100 people buy their first piece of ground, and that could be in a few ways. If you are in the state of Illinois or want to buy in the state of Illinois, I'm a licensed broker here, and I'd be happy to help you. And number two, if you want to get connected with someone I would personally do business with and they are in your area, I'd be happy to refer a awesome agent to you. So as you can kind of hear in this story, having a good buyer's agent is going to really pay dividends. And the best part is usually it doesn't cost you anything. And then number three, if you just simply learn something, doesn't matter where you're at in the world, let me know. I want to add you to the spreadsheet and, uh, add you to that those 100 people so we're cruising through that and i think that really we should fulfill that goal i really think in the next 12 to 18 months so when i started it i didn't know how long it would take but we're cruising right along so also something that we've been alluding to for a very long time this is going live on monday obviously at 5 a.m but we have a that special email we've been talking about for a while now from exodus is going out tomorrow on tuesday and we have Really, if you missed that, really exciting news on our website at exodusoutdoorgear.com on Friday. So be sure to go over there and check out what the heck we've been teasing for so long. Perfect timing for anyone that is a serious whitetail hunter that uses a bow. So I'll just leave it at that. I'm trying to think here. Nothing else really. Actually, just kidding. Actually, we'll do it at the end. So we'll do this on the outro. I have, uh, we're, we're going to do a giveaway. So I'll go ahead and do that on the outro. And let's go ahead and get right into this conversation with Nate. Hope you guys have a great week. Here we go. All right, welcome, Nate. So happy to have you on here. We just recorded one for uh, you guys were gracious enough to have me on your guys' podcast, talk all about land. But now it's about to talk about uh, the first piece of ground you ever bought. And it sounds I got about a, a snippet, and it sounds like it's going to be a good one. So before we get into that, go ahead and take a chance to introduce yourself, where you're from, how old you are, and uh, we'll get right to it. Yeah, my name is uh, Nate Hicks. I am. Uh, I live in Jackson, Michigan. Grew up there. Um, I'm the owner, founder of uh, Painted Air Outdoors. Um, I'm 27 years old. So, 27. Yeah. I'm same. We, we got a couple 27 year olds. That's awesome because I think uh, that's starting things relative pretty early. Um, like we just had Bill on last week's episode, and he started at 32. So you already got a five year head start on yeah. uh, on what he was able to do. So that's that's pretty awesome. So. Um, what do you do for work? So I'm a salesman full-time, um, painted arrows, a, a business that started back in 2017, 18 kind of started as media podcasting, just really know I wanted to be somewhere in the outdoor industry at some point in my life. And, uh, it's kind of, it's grown. Um, we have a couple of products now, um, came out with actually probably seven months ago. It's a magnetic phone mount allows you to film your hunt and gain Intel. Um, that you basically throw on your bow. So that's, that's been really awesome. Um, yeah, we, uh, I'm a salesman full-time though. I've, I've done that for the last three years or so working for corporate America. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I do for most of my time. I'm, I'm completely slammed man. my whole life is just <laughs> my day to day is very, very busy. So yeah, I, I know the feeling that's, uh, you wouldn't want it any other way. Right. I mean, that's part yeah. of, that's just part of it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, I see the, not, to, not to dive into the product too much, but like it, it's definitely a pretty sharp idea because everyone has an iPhone and, uh, this attachment yeah. just goes right on your bow. And I tell you what, we, a lot of the stuff that we do with Exodus now is actually filmed with our phone because it turns out better than the GoPro and, uh, and everything else. So that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Did you have experience in manufacturing before, or did you just kind of figure it out as you want? So, yeah. So 
I'm more of the businessman entrepreneur. Devin, uh, my partner, he is in manufacturing and we, uh, we basically partnered um, about a year ago now and we kind of joined our heads. We both had been using this product for many years and sampled it and prototyped it. And uh, there was actually a moment um, last November, as on the 13th, that really clicked for us where it's like, man, this is a powerful product. Um, uh, he had bought come in, never seen it before, almost got it killed and uh, we got the whole thing on film on his cell phone and 20 seconds later he sent it to me right and i'm sitting in my my tree stand an hour away reliving the hunt that he just had and we're like wow this is really powerful i mean everything's through your cell phone nowadays you got a 4k camera on your on your hip that you take to the woods with you you might as well put it to use and that's kind of how the whole product really developed was like it's it's a tool for us to recover game you know what I'm saying? Um, it's not about filming for us, really. Some people it may be, but for us, we want as much intel as possible going into, you know, whatever critter we might be after. So it it makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it makes uh, makes perfect sense, honestly. So, um, getting into this though, so you wanted to buy a piece of ground. Tell me a little bit about when you when did you decide you wanted to buy some ground? So, I mean, I grew up in Michigan. Um, my grandpa. Uh, Grandpa Hicks, he's he's the real person who kind of got me always thinking about land from a young age. Um, it's actually an awesome story how my grandfather purchased his. He he grew up in um, Springport, Michigan. Grew up in a dirt floor shack, and uh, so it's kind of cool to think two generations ago, my grandfather was literally, you know, living in a, a dirt house floor. where there's no no floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so my dad tells the story real well. He, uh, he basically was in the market, wanted some ground. They were living in Eaton Rapids area and, um, they wanted to buy some ground, wanted to have a farm, you know, the American dream kind of thing. And he, uh, walked up to a, a farmer's house, knocked on the door. My dad was knee high and this guy, uh, answers the door. And my dad says it, it was a real quick conversation. My grandpa says, Hey, we want to buy some ground. He says, yeah. Um, you got this, you know, there's a barn and a house, an old farmhouse down the road. Did you guys be interested in selling that? And uh guy goes, well, what, do you, what did you have in mind? And my grandpa says, 12 grand. Guy stuck out his hand. They shook hands and that, that was it. Whoa. That was the deal. And um, it's just a cool story, man. Um, my grandpa was a huge, huge, um, you know, he, he's the one who got me into hunting in a, in a, in a huge sense. So um, it is one of those stories where like, one, one bedroom, one bathroom farmhouse, my grandpa built onto it. Um, the fireplace, like the whole, the chimney going up, my dad and all of his brothers grabbed the rocks out of the field and literally made the fire pit for my grandpa, you know, Whoa. like giving the rocks to build it. It's still there today. It's standing strong. So he's the, you know, looking back now, like I, I kind of have a lot of his attributes. Um, that's what my family tells me, but yeah, just 35 acres, had an apple orchard, made wine, um, he was, he was the guy that I always looked up to. He died in 2016. And that's kind of really when I became an adult, I graduated college, uh, 2017. And I knew that I wanted to buy ground. Um, there was another portion of me that I really loved the, uh, the Western hunting experience, um, in college. Let, let me know if I'm rambling or if you want to ask questions, but no, it's a good story. So basically, um, um, my internship in college, um, I, I went and did the Montana Fish and Wildlife in Miles City, Montana, and I completely just fell in love with that country, the rolling hills, the plains. There's so many good deer out there. Um, and at that point, um, I knew that I had to come back to Michigan to finish my college education and do that number. But I was like, I'm going to save as much money as I can. In the following years until I graduate, I was dating a girl. She's now my wife. Um, we're going to wait till she gets out of school as well. And we're going to move to Montana. Like that was my, uh, that was, that was my, my mindset, but I knew I wanted to, to buy ground in some capacity there as well. Um, so, I mean, to make a, to, to really go through the detail of it, basically, um, um, I, I was offered a job with the Montana fish and wildlife and came back. And, um, there was actually a period of time where I just, I was, some people say they have an aggressive spending plan, you know, like they go through their finances on a monthly basis and they have like, like they spend a lot of money, but they, they save just the right amount. 
I had the opposite, I would say. I had an extremely aggressive savings plan, like to the point where I wouldn't go out to eat, man. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do been there. <laughs> I, I just wouldn't even do anything. I wouldn't buy Coca-Cola. I wouldn't like I wouldn't do anything. And it, it almost like affected my social life in a, in some ways because like my brother would be like, let's let's go golfy, man. I'm like, I'm not paying $50 to go get pissed off. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> true. So, so, um, anyways, kind of back to the, the storyline. I, I came back from Montana and, um, I was like, I was full on. I'm like, honey, we're going to get married and we're going to, we're going to go to Montana. And, uh, <laughs> I had a bunch of money being saved up. I bought a, I bought a yacht, um, over on the West side of Michigan for like seven grand and I was going to live on this boat. And it, when I bought this boat, I mean, it was, it was a 34 foot twin screw motor yacht. I mean, it was a big boat, 1998 and, uh, I'm sorry, 1989. Mm -hmm. And this boat, I spent a, a whole summer. Um, I was working in Grand Rapids at the time. I was a manager at the company I'm working for now in a service division. And I would basically go to work. I would drive to where the boat was about an hour north and um the boat was on the hard meaning it was not in the water it was kind of a totaled boat and that's why i got a good deal on it so i i bought this bought this boat and i would for i think it was five months i got out of work and i drove north and i worked on the boat and i would sleep on the boat on the hard and this guy the guy that I bought it from and made a deal with him that i could sleep on it while i worked on it to get it off of his property once it was floatable so did a bunch so wait, of fiber bass work. I was so it's just chilling in this guy's backyard and you're sleeping in his backyard basically. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, um, and I I couldn't tell you, man, like the hot summer days, like I this the boat was kind of on the hard on some jack stands up against this uh swamp. So the mosquitoes were horrible. And uh we I mean, there's no air conditioning. Um it was just really because the air conditioning on a boat runs off of the water flowing through. There's a, you know, that's how that works. So I didn't have any air, didn't have anything. Um, I was eating like a poor man. I mean, just like, just not eating what you should at the yeah. age of, you know, 23. So, um, but I, I fixed that boat up and I launched that boat halfway through, um, the summer. I can't remember what year it was. I want to say it was 2018. I want to say it was 2018 and, um, um, I put the boat in the water and I, I literally lived on the boat in the summers and I met a gal from, um, one of my, went, went to my church and they were snowbirds. So they went South for the winter. And so they let me rent from their house month to month. Cause I didn't want to sign any type of lease. Like my mind was so made up. Like I'm not planting roots here in the state of Michigan. I'm going to go to Montana. I want to, I want to live somewhere where there's public land, potentially get a, you know, like a 20 acre piece. Um, I was doing hard research when I wasn't working on this boat about trying to find ground. Um, am I doing good? Let me know if I'm just yeah, talking no, too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so, yeah. And so you're, you graduated college, you're working your sales job, you're working on the boat, you get the boat all fixed up to where you're able to live on it during the summer. Winter is your staying, uh, where people go down South. And so during this whole time, you're thinking, Hey, I'm, I'm going to Montana and that's all there is to it. Literally. I mean, I, I was so sad. <clears throat> like everybody in my life knew that I was leaving. Like it just was a known thing. Like I was so, I would just loved Montana. I loved mm -hmm. it. I still love it. I, I still could see myself living there someday. Um, so yeah, you, like, save, you were saving money just to move to Montana and be able to buy a house or like what? Yep. That's exactly what you were saving for. But I wanted to buy ground eventually. Like, that was the whole plan. Okay. Like, if I could have like the ideal situation, um, it was hard to find them, but I wanted to have maybe like 20 to 40 acres somewhere out in the middle of absolute nowhere that butted up against public land. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That, that, that was awesome. kind of my, that was kind of my mindset, like have a little place. Cause I, I like to do, you know, I'd love to have like a little garden and things like that. That's just how I grew up. So that was my thought process was get an old junkie house, maybe and just fix it up and kind of make a living out there somehow working for the fishing game. That, that was my, that was my plan. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to stay in touch with the Montana fish and wildlife guys that I knew. And, um, a lot of the guys working in the fisheries department, they would get the winners off. Right. So seasonal job. I met mm -hmm. a couple of guys that did that. So all they would do all winter was hunt. Oh uh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Ice fish. And so I was like, dude, that is, that is exactly what I want. And 
Um, so yeah, but back to the boat. I mean, <laughs> I living in a boat. You're like, it's like kind of like living in a van under the bridge, like kind of the same, the same. I vibe. tell you, I tell you what, Jake, it was the most epic four years of my life. I did that for four years. Wow. Um, three, three and a half. I, I call it four because it sounds better, but it's like three and a half years I did it. And like, you literally wake up. I mean, you're like, it's a boat, right? So you're rocking all the time. Like people always ask these questions. Like, I mean, it was like a freaking boat. Like I, I lived in the boat for seven months of the year up North. I'd work out of it. I did podcasts. I had a studio in the boat. <laughs> That's, um, awesome. That's where you should have been recording videos for that. That would have been sweet. <laughs> dude, but. like the, the first, the first, like, uh, I don't know if you go back and look at the painted arrow podcast. Like I think the first 50 episodes were done on that boat. That's awesome. Like, coming so from the, coming from the yacht, exactly <laughs> the yacht club. That's but funny. it was super cool, man. Like I fixed that thing up. It, you know, I eventually um, um, we I did a lot of spear fishing out on Lake Michigan. The whole side tangent I could go on about the boat, but so basically, would you were you were you too cheap where you didn't put gas in that thing, or did you take it out? So I had literally a a spreadsheet of how much oil filters were. I had a spreadsheet of how much gas I could afford to put in it because you have to have a slip fee as well. Uh-huh. to put your boat at the dock, the gas. I had two 100-gallon gas tanks on this boat. And at the gas tank, um, you know, at the normal pump, you're probably paying 350 but it's rec fuel, so it's five bucks. You do the math. It's like a grand to fill it up, right? Yeah. So I had I had it dialed to what I could afford and what I could save. Like it was, a, it was an absolute scheme of how much money I could save. And um, I'll be honest with you, I, I saved a lot of money. I mean, I saved a lot of money living on that boat. And, um, and at the time my company, you know, I had a, a company truck. So I was like the whole mindset, the whole being, my aura was save money. Like, yeah. Save as money. little or low, uh, living costs is quite literally possible. And stack literally. It up. that's it. That was my whole being. And, uh, I had the best time out there and, so this kind of, I was struggling to hunt. This is where the, the story kind of gets good on, you know, like buying land and wrapping this back around. What land. did you have? a So you were very plain, like very detail oriented with your plan. Was there an exit plan to Montana? Cause it almost seems like it was a, at the point, nope. at that point, it was just kind of like, well, we're going to go out there. Like everything else that is like it. this, 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 <laughs> and it's almost just like, well, I don't know when we get out there. So is that, that kind of literally it? That was the whole thing. <laughs> so i was all in all in. i mean all in on one chip you know what i'm saying yeah interesting okay and then so as you saved up so obviously you didn't go to montana or did you i did not go to montana so what what happened like did you so this is where you got to where you found this is where the story gets kind of got it interesting so so i struggled in the hunting side of things for those four years access just not having a fun time hunting in michigan as a lot of people well well so to take a 34 foot yacht to get it out of the water in the fall and time for hunting season like i was i was running painted arrow and i really wanted it was like a big deal for me to do at least one or two trips out west so i would try and get the boat winterized by myself because i couldn't afford to pay the the marina to do it um get it winterized get it out of the water in time for fall i'm making the move moving all my everything i own into you know, somebody else's house where I'm renting. And so like, I would struggle to get on deer just in general from a, just an overloaded standpoint. I did have some private places that I could hunt. Um, you know, but just, I wasn't having the success that I wanted and I was, it was torn up about it. Cause I'm a kind of guy where you do something, you do it, you do it good. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't do something half-ass. So I start looking at land cause I got all this money saved up and it's like a thing that I've always dreamed about having land. I mean, do you want to share how much you had saved up or no? Probably not. Okay. It was a, a lot, lot of money. It was a, I had a lot of money. Lot of, yeah. Enough money where I was dangerous at the age <laughs> of 20, 24 years old. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Um, and my dad, it, they, my parents helped me through a lot of like, just setting me up for success. I was raised the right way. They, they, you know, hard work is, is paid off. That's kind of the, the general sense about how I was raised, but um, and I, and you can probably tell that I tell you, my, my dad grew up in a house that he was a part of building, you know building, what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's pretty cool. So you, uh, so was there a point where like, all right, I need to, I need to get some level of roots down and I don't think it's going to be Montana. Like what, what did that, 
juncture of the story? Like, how did that go? Well, I was I, I dated the same girl through this whole thing, and her she was parents, cool living on the yacht. Well, she she actually did come out and uh, live on it with me when she was in between rent one time. Um, uh -huh. But it was kind of like this thing I think where it's like, what's Nate doing? You know, like is he going to do this forever? Like yeah, like what's what's he's gonna the... go a, he's going to go get a surfboard and head to California? <laughs> it's kind of yeah, <laughs> kind of the, the vibe. But... Exactly. So there was there was a sense of that, and uh, but, but yeah, like like I said, just the me struggling in the hunting side of things, like I'm running a hunting company. Like, I just felt like, like, man, you're not even like, you can't even get on deer. Like you can't even, <laughs> you can't even like, I don't know. There was something about it where, um, I just wasn't having a great level of success and we would travel out West. Um, I, I did elk hunting trip every single year. I, as soon as I winterized the boat, I would go on an elk hunting trip and then just come back. And, um, that was just kind of how I did things. But yeah, I started looking for ground, man. Um, mm -hmm. just, just as an investment, um, where I was living on the boat, I almost bought an investment property. I was going to turn this thing on a main street that had some, um, like some, it was an old gas station and it was up for sale. And it was like right on the main drag in the city that I lived in. And I'm like, dude, that could be a sweet bar. It could be a sweet grill, like any, any, you know, any business would flourish there. Cause it's like, you have to go right downtown. It's right in the middle. And it had some, uh, it was an old gas station. So there was like some, e um, EPA issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was literally, I was so close to buying that building. And after that building, um, it just, the money didn't make sense. You know what I mean? It, it didn't make sense to me and how much I actually had contracted. Did you know there. there was EPA issues when you're in that process? hundred percent. Okay. Cause it had been on the market for a while and I was looking at it and I'm like, man, I, I can, I can make money here. There's money to be made. And after running the numbers of what I wanted to do with it, I had three or four different like general contractors in there to like, give me a legit quote. Like we were going to make this thing like a rooftop bar and grill. And you could see the lake that I mm. lived on with this money. And my plan was to like renovate a little side of it to live in. Mm. And, uh, I, I'm telling you, man, I was like so close to doing that. And it just, you know, how you get feelings about things and, I didn't, I didn't do it and it, money didn't make sense. And it just, it was going to be a huge deal, big life-changing moment. So I didn't do it. Um, I, and I was like, man, I got to go to Montana. That's what I've always told myself. And I was kind of like invested. So, so after that, it kind of spiraled into this, like, like looking for land heavy now, like I'm looking for ground. Cause that's really what, what year was this? Then? This was 20, this would be in, uh, 2019. Okay. 2020 somewhere's in there. Okay. And, um, so I started looking for ground and I had a really bad hunting season, missed a deer, um, just was like totally torn up about it and just was unhappy with, with the way that my, my success was, was happening in terms of being a hunter. So mm -hmm. I started looking at these properties in December of last year, it'd have been last year somewhere of 2021. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> and I, I had walked. I don't know how many properties, man, like, and I, I'm a, I work from a home office, so I could have lived anywhere. And my wife was my now wife. Um, she was still in school and she could intern anywhere. She's a physical therapist. So I was like, I, I was, I was not looking anywhere specifically in the state necessarily. I knew what areas obviously were better for deer hunting. Um, and I wanted to be kind of more anywhere South of Jackson, really. That's, that's kind of, I mean, if you make a line right across the state of Michigan, South of Jackson, that's where the ag starts to come up. You get, you know, into some really good hunting, you know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people actually overlook Michigan, but there is really good hunting to be had. And that's there's Southern part of the year. There is, I'm telling you, man, there's, um, there's just a lot of deer and I don't know what it is in the last couple of years. I've seen more deer than I ever have of, of higher quality you know, 130 type bucks almost every year, you know, wow. getting, getting an opportunity at them. So I hate to say that, but Michigan has a bad rep, man. It just does. <laughs> I feel like people just like to complain about it at this point. I've never hunted there and by golly, I'm not going to buy a Michigan tag this year either, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It almost feels like it's a rite of passage to complain about it. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you go North, that's the big woods, right? It's just it's there's the Manistee National Forest. It, there, there's just not a lot of deer, which is an interesting thing about Michigan because uh, my neighbors now where I live, they remember when deer first were seen That's in crazy. southern Michigan. 
So it used to be like all of the deer were north. People would drive up to the UP. That's just an awesome culture around hunting in the northern parts of Michigan, kind of like very similar in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, dude, southern Michigan, you get you get up to Ohio and uh, Indiana. Mm-hmm. There's 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 beautiful ground. There's beautiful rolling everything. It's nice. There's good ground to be had. So um, I can't remember where I I left off there. You were looking. You were looking uh, in the general area. You had. You knew you wanted to be in a good area. You want to be yeah. south of Jackson. Yep. So I was looking at anything on the market that was. Were you working with my, an agent at that time, or were you just nope. looking? Okay. I was looking. I I couldn't find an agent that could keep up with me. To be honest with you. Well, when you're um, that when you're that detail oriented, sometimes it's like well, because <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're better to uh, at least go go find your own farm first or hound hound the listings. And I, I didn't really trust anybody. That's just, I don't know. It's a bad thing, but I, I always, I always think in my head, like if, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. But sure. it's interesting because, um, you're an agent, mm-hmm. the end of this story, the agent made this deal happen, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm walking properties. I walked a, I walked a 92 acre piece in uh battle Creek area and, um, my God, it was all swamp and there was a house on it. And I saw one of the biggest deer I'd ever seen on that property. You like picked it up when you're looking at it? He was injured. I was walking through the swamp and he was up on this hillside. So I was looking up a hill from the swamp and he was bedded in this grass patch. It was like a two acre grass patch. Just, it wasn't even like CRP, but just like that type of grass. Real thick. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like that's, that buck's never been touched in here. It's after the season, it's December 10th. He's injured and he's betting right here. I mean, I saw, I don't know how many deer on this property that was just a 92 what, acre swamp. What kind of listing was it? Was it a land brokerage or was it just like a residential person that had it? It was a residential. Um, the house was on a really nice like main highway. Um, but like it just backed off, it dropped off to this creek and like all of it was flooded. Mm. And that's why it was going for the price it was. And I, I saw so many deer though. I mean, the sign, everything about it screamed, this is a good deer hunting property. And it was quite a bit of ground and it was right on my price point, you know, like mm-hmm. just to the point. And it was just, I was real close, man. Again, I just, I ran the numbers. I, I brought my wife out now and we, we went and checked it out. And like, I mean, we were there, we were there, almost made the deal. Didn't work out. Um, uh, how come it didn't work out? Did he decide not to put an offer in or just couldn't get him to the price that you were comfortable with? I think that, uh, I made an offer. It had been on the market for over 250 days. Uh-huh. And I made an offer on it that was $35,000 less than what they great. were at. Uh, and they wouldn't budge. It was a great scenario of, you know, dad died, mom died, three or four kids own it. They all want their cut and they wouldn't let go of it. I, I was just talking about this with the client yesterday. Like, uh, I don't want to speak poorly of anyone, but it seems like a lot of times those situations, those are the hardest people to negotiate with. The ones that... Uh, basically uh, inherit it, run into it, you know, like that type of deal for whatever reason, I'm sure it's a mixture of sentimental value. Um, and they also want to, you know, get the most amount of money possible, but I think sometimes they get in the way of themselves of uh, getting a deal done and getting the most amount of money. So, um, anyhow, so you're 35 less and do they counter or did they just say like, see you later? No. So the, I was dealing with the listing agent. So mm-hmm. I was calling the listing agent, like, you're about to get a smacking deal. You need to make this happen. Like, uh-huh. look at the numbers. Like, it was like, I'm the kind of guy where I just told her, like, I called her right out. I'm like, what is the problem? Like, yeah. this is a great, fair deal. It's been on the market for a long time. Like, let's make the deal. Like, let's make it happen. But this is literally like, I can't afford to go any higher. Like, this is my number. And I just wouldn't take it. So I'm like, all right, I'm out. So no counter. Nothing. Any feedback? They just will bring your offer up, basically? Or do they even... They just nothing. They didn't respond. They didn't want to counter. They're like, this is our price. And I'm like, okay, man. Well, that's not how I, you know, that's not how I deal. Do you regret not buying that at all? No, because you'll hear in the story, it turns out pretty good for me. (laughs) Okay. I'm excited. So, uh, real quick though, I mean, as you were going through that, how many properties had you walked before putting it in your first offer on a property? Dozens. Dozens. Lots. I walked anything that had my, my, my general like criteria, I guess I really wanted something symmetrical. Like I didn't want to get land that was like jagged. Right. 
where three or four different guys on this piece were hunting it. And, you know, sure. I wanted it to be like a square or a rectangle. I didn't want all this, like, I didn't want it to be where you looked at it in a topo map and it just was like a star or something, you know what I mean? And there's quite a bit of that out there really. And they go for cheap. And that was like, I don't know, I don't know why, but that's just like, I wanted something like symmetrical. I wanted a big chunk of it. Um, I also wanted like, I wanted to get more than 40 acres. Like I'm like, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to, if I'm really going to live in Michigan and it's gotta, I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be big, right? I can't feel like I'm crying, you know, crunched yeah. in here. And at the time, 40 acres was big to me. Now it's not honest to God. It's weird how that changes so fast. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. It's not at all. Like it's very, very, very small to me. Um, and so that was one of my criteria. And then obviously price is in there. It had, I had my number set. I knew exactly what I could afford. And, um, and I'm a handy guy. So honestly, something I should, you know, mention in this is like the only reason that I could afford some of these properties is if I bought it with a house on it. Right. Cause you're having to come in with more cash down on just vacant land. Mm -hmm. And so like the, the, the deals that I got from the bank, um, I could have, I could have cash, more cash in my pocket to kind of make renovations and things like that with the, with a junkie house on it. So that's kind of something I was targeting too, like a house that needed a little bit of love. You know, I'm a handy guy. Um, I have the ability to renovate. So that was another thing that I was kind of targeting. So, and it just, like I said, though, a lot of these places where somebody died, the kids own it and they're trying to sell it off. That was just like, that was a lot of what I came across. Um, so back to that 92 though, that didn't go through. There's a place down in, um, it's probably 20 miles north of the uh, Indiana border um, in Coldwater County. And I, I actually, is that Coldwater County? Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, went down there, same deal, beautiful chunk of 80 acres. It had, it touched in the Northeast corner on this lake. What's kind of the, uh, just real quick, what, during this time frame, what was like the price per acre on some of these pieces of ground? I know there's houses so that changes it, but like if, if you eliminated the house, like what was that swamp parcel at the 92, like 3000 an acre more than that? Uh, that was, they're asking like 450 for it or something like that for the whole thing with the house. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but in general though, if you were just to say, take the house away and that just the 92 acres was listed, like the house was demolished, it's gone, doesn't exist. Would you say like, well, I guess it'd probably be just a little bit more than that. 4,000 an acre, 40, 4,500. That specific piece that that ground wasn't worth a lot just because it was really wet. Yep. It was just really well and it was interesting to hear from the, the people that owned it. There's a picture inside the house when I walked through it of like what the farm used to look like from an aerial view. Mm -hmm. And it was all ag all the way down to the Creek. Yeah. What was a Creek then now it's like a full blown out river. And you know, I, I don't know what the story is behind that specific, you know, water system and why it is what it is now, but it was really interesting to see the difference in it from, you know, 30 years back till now. So mm -hmm. it, 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 that's why I'd been on the market. Honestly, it was super wet. That was the, that was the thing there. Yep. And then, so for the 80, you go in similar thing, write an offer. No, no luck. That was just out of my price point, but it was, okay. I could see, I made an offer on it. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, I absolutely made an offer on it and it was a good offer, but at this time, again, I had no, I was dealing with the listing agent. Um, it, this one kind of butted up in the Northeast corner to this lake and I could see it in my mind, walking it with my now wife. I'm like, we're, I'll build a dock to that thing and we'll have lake access on this boat or I'm sorry, on this property and we'll flip this house and make, we'll make a lot of money on it. You know, just 80 acres with a lake access to like a 50 acre lake. Mm -hmm. It's golden, golden. And it wasn't really in the area that we wanted to live, but, um, it was just beautiful. I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful piece outside of my price range, I made the offer and they said no. And I respected them for it. Cause it was kind of, it wasn't a low ball, but it was like almost Teetering. a low ball. Sure. Yeah. So then what? So, so, you're, so you're, it gets good. So <laughs> I know I'm taking a long time to get there, but so I get this notification on my phone, literally realtor.com get a notification. I had my thing set, you know, I get a notification when something comes online. I'm at my brother's place in Portage staying there because it was like between, um, it was December, it was December 20th, actually. Um, I get a notification that night, nine o'clock. Um, and I see this property 
And I look at it, first thing I would do is I'd throw it in on X and I'd look at it from the aerial and I'm like, dude, that's not the one it's looks all it's got like this L shape, right? It's like a dog leg off the back. It was a solid chunk of 40 and then a 26 going off the back. And I looked at it from the aerial view and it just looked like it was, I didn't like it at all. I'm like, no, that ain't it. And, uh, seven days go by or something like that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting the dates mixed up. Um, I'd got that notification a couple of days before that, but on December 20th, I'm starting to look at this property again. That's what happens. I'm at my brother's place in Portage and I get this notification and I'm like, I'm going to go look at that thing tomorrow morning. You know, there's nothing else on the market. I got nothing to do tomorrow. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to drive out there. And I'd met this lady actually. Um, she was an agent, one of the properties that I went and looked at and uh, her name was Mindy and Mindy was like a go-getter and I completely, we clicked and I said, Hey, if you will drive and meet me at these places and get me showings when I want them, I'll work with you, you know, but most people couldn't keep up with me. Like, Hey, I want to look at this one today. Hey, I want to look at that one now. And they were just like, they were just not what I wanted to deal with, but this lady got me. And so she's like, I can't be there tomorrow. I'll call. You can go check it out. And you know, I, I don't have to go. I'll get the permission. You just go check it out. And you call me. Let me know what you think. Great. Got up December 21st, drove three hours, went to this place. And this is, this is the property that I now own. Mm -hmm. I'm driving down the road frontage. You know, I got it in a GPS. I'm flying the blue line and I'm, I'm pulling up to it and I'm kind of literally just driving down the road and, um, I'm just checking it out, right. Doing a quick drive by, I was going to turn back around and come park in the driveway and give it a walk. So first thing I noticed was the house was just junk. I mean, it was like a one bed, uh, one bathroom, like just, it was junk. I could see it from the road, nice barn. I drive by and I literally see 25 yards from the house and about 15 yards off the road. I see a, a box rack in the CRP grass. And I'm like, holy cow, look at that. It looked like a decoy. Uh -huh. It was something like, it was just huge wide buck sticking out of the grass. All I could see was his antlers. And I'm like, holy shit, that is a big deer. And I turned around, came back parked in the driveway and uh, I purposely went out and bumped this buck and I took a video of him running away and um, he was he was he was like a 150 inch buck like a huge deer oh man right next to the house this is bedded there literally like right next to the house that's crazy and so I'm thinking all these things as a hunter would like that deer doesn't get pressured here first off yep right I obviously noted I took a video of where he ran to so I know where he's chilling like I know where he feels safe on December 21st in one of the most hunted state you know hunters mm -hmm. per square mile state in the country and I'm thinking like I, I I was just completely captivated by the deer I ain't gonna lie to you <laughs> um it, and at that time in my life like I was I I was praying a lot I mean like give me like half of me is like, I'm going to Montana. Half of me is like, man, I'm, there's just so much going on for me. I was about to get married and I was just praying a lot. Like, God, give me just, what do you want me to do? You know, like what's something that you want me to do? Like, give, give me, give me some direction here. And, um, and I see this deer and something happened, man. I don't know what it was. <laughs> like I was captivated. Like I, I honestly though, I really like leveling with you. I felt like that was like God telling me something in a weird way. In uh -huh. a weird way. Here's like, this 150 bedded up outside the house. Like it didn't make any sense. I right. mean, if you could see where this did, it just didn't make a lick of sense. So, uh -huh. so I walked this property and I bump up another buck, you know, that was 140 inch type buck. Got within 15, 20 yards of him, tending mm -hmm. the late, you know, a doe, a younger doe that was coming into late heat, I think, or, you know, coming in estrus, I'm sorry. And I'm like, holy cow, like this place, I saw turkeys, I saw, it was a great mix. So it's 50, 50 acres of CRP. And from the aerial, like I said, it didn't look good at all. I mean, it just. Oh, so I was picturing this as a timber track. So this is like one of those ones we just talked about on your podcast. That's correct. Okay. That's so cool. it's like <laughs> all of the, all of the main travel points were like these, these tree lines. Super defined. And it was like, I could see, like I could see the hunting. And I could tell it was never hunted. I could tell a lot of things about it just, just from being a, you know, I'm, I'm into bow hunting, right? I just could just see what the potential was. And there was income on this property with the CRP being enrolled, which was super interesting. And the price point, like I called my wife, my now wife, at that time, my 
my uh, fiance, I was like, honey, you're going to have to tell me like, as I was walking it, after I saw that second buck, I was like, you're going to have to tell me something really good. Like why we aren't going to take this, you know, this property. Mm -hmm. So made an offer that day, but this, this CRP really made it a sweet deal because there's some income on it. Mm -hmm. So pretty like what kind of income, if you want to like a couple thousand bucks, a few thousand so, bucks. Yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. It it's it pays out just about what a normal if you're going to lease out your 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 ground to farmer sure paying you to rent corn it's very similar I mean it's yep. it's very similar per acre here in Michigan so nothing crazy but it sweetens the deal right you get a little check before the hunting season every every year and it's it's that's nice right mm -hmm. so um, made an offer that day and this is where the story gets interesting as I'm literally calling the agent in the field like hey we're making an offer today like we're going to sit down and we're going to do this um there's people in the driveway when i get back and i'm like son of a gun our sinks yeah <laughs> and this was this has been on the market for seven days and it's it's 66 acres that's the total acreage um and the house is literally like i know nothing about the house i'm just looking in the windows it's locked i had to be there with the agent to look at the house sure so at this point i'm like i don't really care about the house i looked in the windows i can fix it up there's a decent barn. We'll make it work. And, um, so basically there's a guy in the driveway and I'm like, son of a gun. Like my heart sank, like you said. And, um, so I make an offer. Sounds like my, my realtor calls the listing agent and is like, there's two other offers in on it. I'm like, great. Was so, this price, was this price really nicely? I assume if yes. it's getting that type of attention, especially yes. around Christmas time too, which is usually slow. Yes. So, okay. So it was, it was priced well. And uh -huh. I find out like later, I mean, there's a reason it is. It's because the house is literally like worth nothing. Uh -huh. I mean, it's, I it needed a new well. It needed all these things. Um, and so I, I get back to the truck. We make the offer. Um, I wanted my wife to come out and look at it. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, we had to rush a bunch of things because all these offers were in. And she was working, she was in school in Grand Valley. She's a physical therapist. So she was in school and she couldn't leave. And I was like, we, you got to come down here because I, I'm going to buy this place. Like, I need you to like, I need your blessing. I need to know that you, you can live here. Mm -hmm. And, um, she, she drives down, she sees it. We make the offer. There was three offers on the table for this owner. Um, one was full asking or one was full asking price cash, but they didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to sell it until they sold their house. Okay. So it's contingent on them selling their current residence. Yep. So full asking price, cash money, but contingent upon the sale of their home, which was not sold. Which is kind of crazy. If they could buy cash, why wouldn't they just float both of them? Yeah. I'm not sure, man. I I would have taken it. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And so so and what do you go ahead? Sorry. So the second offer was um the second offer was it was a different type of loan and I really don't know the details behind it, but it was for full asking price as well. And like I told you, the realtor that I was working with, she had helped me. We'd done this three or four times now where we made offers on houses and land. And each time, like I learned something from her, she would, she would make my offer really strong. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and how so, like just how she delivered it, how she positioned it. What, what well, was she, she doing? just knew a little bit more about me in just terms of like, you know, just, just the bare basics, things that might go over most people's head, but like a guy like you, you just know the different types of loans, you know, what a strong offer is, you know, the contingencies, like, you know, lots of people waive the inspection, right? Just little things like that. I was not about to waive the inspection because I wanted to know how much money I was going to have to sink into this house in mm -hmm. order for me to live there. So that was what my offer was, was, um, it was, it was full price, but I had a loan involved. And it was just much cleaner than everything else. It's a really clean offer. Like all I need is an inspection and that's it. And um, they took my offer, man. Ooh, that, uh, how, how was the, how was the nerves during that process of pressing, going through the DocuSign, sending it off and just like hoping like, heck, they accept your offer because clearly you wanted it. It was, it was very stressful. Um, mm -hmm. Cause you, you know, you look at so many, I, I was, I was looking for months and months and months and, and like, this is know. it. Like, you know, like, and people, people always do too. Like, it's easy for me to say like, oh, well, or like we were talking about when people have all these different pre preconceived notions of like what they have to have. 
like, you know what you want once you see it. Like you can have all these different things of what you think you want. And then when you look at it, you know, like, you know, in your gut. hundred percent, hundred percent. And like the, the really cool thing about this piece too, was I, uh, another credential. I, I mean, I didn't have to have it, but a big, a big cool thing would be having neighbors that had really big chunks of ground. Right. Of course. I mean, that's it sounds simple, but it's just not out there everywhere. It's just not. And that, that was a part of this deal. And I'm like, I could see where the timber chunks were. I could see, I could just see it being like, this is, this is going to be a good thing to hunt long-term. Mm-hmm. So I was crazy about it. Um, they accepted my offer. We do the inspection and, um, I mean, everything's wrong with this house. I mean, literally <laughs> there's a, like, there's a hole inside of the kitchen where rodents and raccoons and I mean, all matter of animals. When I eventually bought this house, like it was the whole thing smelled like piss like it yeah. was just a complete well, you got 150s chilling in the yard <laughs> so yeah the whole spectrum here. like everything about the house needed work it was junk it was absolutely mm-hmm. junk it should have been bulldozed um i spent the next um year during covid rebuilding this house i replaced floor joists i replaced the subfloor i put new paint on it I installed the kitchen cabinets. I did the toilet, the bathroom, the shower, like all the drive, like everything, the roof, the attic insulate. Like I redid the house. I built the house. Mm-hmm. I take full credit for it. Cause I, I spent a lot of work on it. So sure you should. And I, I mean, when I made this offer, I knew that, that it was such a sweet deal that I had enough cash to save back that I could actually make these renovations mm-hmm. and cash flow. So, which is what, exactly. which is what most people run into. And that's why people can flip houses or like, you know, like buy a crappy house to fix it is because people don't, most people don't have the cash to go in and fix it. So when you can yeah. just go buy it fixed, perfect, because you can't usually get a loan for a house that, you know, if you can't afford to, to fix the improvements, then probably can't get a loan that will support that. So anyhow, side, side tangent there. So, yeah, I mean, the first day that I took possession of this house last February, I literally took a, a steel chainsaw out of the porches and ripped the porches right off, both <laughs> front and back. Like the first 10 minutes I was yeah. there, I had a chainsaw in my hand. I'm like, this, right. this place ain't going to build itself. And yeah, so to kind of get to this buck, right, this this big 150-inch buck comes back in the situation. I nicknamed this buck. I, I guess before I go on this bucktail, is there anything you want to ask me about the deal or the land or anything? Yeah, um, yeah, real quick, though, I mean, it sounds like Mindy was probably one of the best resources you had throughout this process. Any other key resources that helped you along the way? Uh, praying is one. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, definitely Mindy. I mean, I, I've heard some of your podcasts where you, you know, you have guys, you, you sit there on a tangent and you talk about how important it is to have a good agent that answers the phone, right? The bare mm-hmm. minimum, just answer the damn phone. Um, there's nothing that is more valuable to a buyer than a very sharp agent. And I'm not saying there's a bunch of sharp agents out there. It sounds like, you know what the hell you're doing, Jake. So anybody listening, feel free to like, anybody uh, it, it, it is, it, what can hurt? Why, how can that hurt you? Yeah. And in a buyer's agent, those scenarios where it's listed, like you got that representation for free. Like yeah. Mindy, Mindy was in your corner for free. Like you have an expert for yeah. free. I mean, the sellers are paying for that. And I, I was young and I thought I knew that I, if, if I could convince the other agent that they were getting the full take home, that it would, I could, I could have weight and say, and it's just not true all the time. Maybe it is sometimes, but it, it really helps you to have somebody in your corner who knows exactly what's going on. Somebody who's sharp, somebody who can deal, do the deal and make it, make it in your favor. So I couldn't, I can't say enough about that. that that's one thing that my mind was completely flipped on mm-hmm. from start to finish. So. I give huge credit to her. Awesome. Well, that's, that's great. And I'm glad she was there in your corner. And then um, I'm just trying to think here. I mean, I think uh, let's go ahead and dive into the story. I think we covered a lot of the questions I had. You kind of indirectly answered, but um, I, yeah, let's, let's hear about this deer. So you see, so just to back up for people, you pull up there for the first time, you see 150 in the yard and I'll let you, you take it from there. You buy the place. And then what's that look like? So he was a clean 10. I knew he'd made it through the season. Right. Um, I nicknamed the buck, the Holy spirit deer. Cause like, like I told you, I was captivated by him and I just felt like God was winking at me saying, Hey, this is, this is where you need to be for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's, I I'd be, I have to mention, like, I've, I'm thinking about my grandpa a lot while I'm rebuilding this house. There were so many days where I was like underneath the house. I remember there's one specific time I'm underneath this house, like, you know, 
redoing floor joists, pouring concrete for new footers and like thinking, what in the hell am I doing? <laughs> right. Just like, what are you like? How did you get yourself to where you are? Man, right you lived now in a boat for four years. This is nothing. It's probably what you're telling <sighs> yourself. But I'm telling you, dude, I don't, I mean, I just a, a massive amount of grit got me through that. And, um, and just, wow. I mean, just a journey. So I'm, I'm rebuilding this house and I'm, I got, I put camera. It, I could tell there's a lot of sign out there. I'm not going to bore you with that, but like, there's just, I can see what's going to happen in this, in this fall. And there's a lot of question marks that I have about different locations on the farm and where I'm going to hunt it, how I'm going to hunt it, access, all those things. So I'm, I put my cameras out like as soon as I bought it to try and just get some Intel. And, um, so May 20th or something, I get a picture right behind the barn of what I think is this buck. So just nubs in May or like maybe just, browse. Just little, you know, Louisville slugger sticking out of his head. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was kind of obvious I, I thought, but, um, I thought I saw this deer and I'm like, Oh, there he is. You know, um, summer kind of comes along and I start to see this buck. So I'm once mowing the lawn, um, on the neighbors, you know, out in the beans. Um, and I, at the end of the summer, I kind of knew where this buck was chilling out. Um, right in this, this drainage area. Great. I mean, when you look at it after, you know, he's there, you can see him. It makes sense, right? He's, I could tell why he was betting there, you know? Um, but I keep thinking in the back of my head, like I know he was spending time on my place. Mm -hmm. And that's probably from where I'm seeing him, probably three quarters of a mile or a mile away. Um, and so I, I get a bunch of pictures of this deer. September 10th, I get some really awesome photos of this buck raking a tree, raking it, just absolutely raking a tree. Hard horn or like just getting out of his velvet, I assume. He's he's trying to get out of his velvet, but it looked like he was pretty much hard horned at that point. Mm -hmm. Didn't see him anywhere for a long time. Um, got another sequence of pictures um, of him on September 24th or 25th doing the exact same thing in the exact same location. And it's, it's worth mentioning that the same day that I bumped him when I first saw him where he ran to, I'm like, I keyed in on that area and I put a stand in there as soon as I could. I mean, before I even started doing some major renovation projects, I'm like, I'm going to get in there and just throw a set in. I, it's, I can see where it's probably going to go down and I had the set in. So I'm hunting the night before the opener down in Ohio, and I'm looking at the wind for the opener in Michigan. October 1, right? On October 1. Yeah. So it's literally the day before October 1st. I'm down in Ohio. I'm in my, in my tree saddle. I have a six point come out in front of me, and I'm like, ah, I'm just too excited for tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to scroll through. I looked at the wind, and it's a perfect wind for this area. October 1st, I get up. I'm so excited. I get all the way down to the spot that I forgot to put on my tree saddle. I literally didn't wrap it around my waist. I was so excited and I documented all this. There's a video of it and I had to come back up to the house, go out, get my tub, get my saddle on, go down, back down to the spot. And right before light, I hear a deer making a, a rub and scrape on this area where I got pictures of this deer a few times. And 10 minutes later, literally at first possible light, this buck walks out and I shoot him at 18 yards. Oh my gosh. And, um, I knew he was big, you know, I knew he was really big. I could just see his, I, I could see his antlers and just shimmering in the, in the light, the first light of the morning, that dawn, just the like most epic, you know, first time to see this deer, just absolutely epic. I so was that the deer. first hunt ever on the new farm too? First hunt ever on the farm. Oh my gosh. First hunt ever on the farm. First literal first two or three legal light minutes of, of the, of the season of 2021. Um, he steps out and I, I shoot him at 18 yards with my bow and a tree saddle and he, uh, he didn't die right away. I, I made a bad shot. So I we called all, you know, all my family, my like gut shot or what? Way yeah, it was, okay. it was back. I got uh -huh. video of him kind of like hunching his back mouth kind of hanging with open. your product, right? I, I had my product on, but the light did not capture oh, sure. it. It was too yeah. dark. Yep. Okay. Um, and anyway. I'm, I know he's still alive. I saw him get up and from his bed like three or four different times. And I, the last place I saw him, he gets up and he kind of walks out into, you know, I couldn't see, but there's a Creek kind of where he's walking. So I'm like, he's going to that Creek. He's going to lay in it. And so I'm freaking out. I call a dog tracker. I call, you know, I'm like, what, what, what's the move going forward? And 
basically, um, we waited about 12 hours to go get, you know, look after this year. Um, and I get my dad, I get Devin, my business partner, my, my lifelong friend and I, my wife, I'm like, we're going to go down at like five 45. We're going to go down there and try and find this deer. So we walk down and after all this time, we walk right up to the last place that he had, you know, been betting. <laughs> he was still alive after that. Wow. Long. Well, and, uh, it, for one second too, you did everything right though. Like you waited 12 hours, you had a dog, you had a plan. People, so many people mess up like a, a gut shot deer. I don't want to say is super easy to recover, but you should recover them if you do things correctly. I know there's so many factors to go into that, but anyhow, so you walk up there and he's still like, um, imagine looking a little sleepy. Yeah. Kind of bobbing on his last leg, but like, I, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting to see him in that last bed because the last time I'd saw him, he'd got up from that last bed and walked towards this Creek. So we were, I was like, I want everybody to follow in my line just in case we need to call the dog tracker. I had him on, on call. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mess up the scent trail. So we were just kind of following along and he went, he came back to that last bed that I'd saw him in and he was trying to get out of this little, little dike area, little drainage area. And, um, I had to put a couple more arrows in him, and it really, it really tore me up. And there's a video online on YouTube of this whole thing. And it, it, we had to like, it just took away from the moment so much for me. Yeah. It, it really did. Cause you, you imagine it going so many different ways in your mind. And yeah. Um, but we literally had like a minute of silence or many minutes actually of silence, uh -huh. just kind of like, and so he's like completely, man. his racks completely covered in this grass. So I hadn't even seen him yet. Right. Uh -huh. And when we pulled him out in his glory, like, dude, on unreal experience unreal Gosh. experience dude that's so i mean and i we've all i mean uh i mean for instance like i'm trying to think here a couple of years ago i got shot at you like i knew i got shot i'm like and it does suck because it's like there's nothing better when you just nail them and you watch them pile up like that is an unmatched adrenaline rush but like this mixed emotion of like okay well you got this encounter with this deer that you wanted to shoot and then you you bone it like you mess it up and then now it's like this uh, contingency plan to try to keep this thing together but i mean that is like that is probably one of the most remarkable stories though in terms of uh, your entire process you see this deer the moment you step up on there and then like literally within the first few minutes ever hunting the farm you shoot him like oh my gosh that is so cool man yeah giant buck he ended up uh scoring like 100 and 164 and six eights and I, I creeped him here on your Instagram. Like, there's a beautiful, typical frame. This gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous. Just anybody'd be happy with that deer. And you know, looking back at everything, like this decision to live in Michigan for now. I mean, good. Yeah, good point. It's yeah. it's not obviously this deer captivated me. All those things, but I mean, this is where my family is. You know, uh, I don't regret living here by any means. There's I, I, there's no saying what I could do in the future too. You know, so. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so fun to have a garden. It's so fun to, to, um, I'm, I'm the kind of guy I always got to be doing something. So mm -hmm. having some land to just, you know, go cut wood or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just have a good time and kind of improve the land. It's just, it's a ball, man. It's an absolute ball. That's so cool, man. I, that's, uh, that's such a great story. I'm so glad you shared it, shared it with me. And, uh, so are you living in that house now? Yeah. So yep. you, you hang out there and, uh, everyone's happy. And so, how do you follow up this past year with, uh, with this year? Do you got any prospects lined up? Uh, I drew a tag in Utah for mule deer. Um, awesome. I'm going to be going to, to Utah and I think potentially Kentucky, but there's a, there's a buck that I saw. I could have killed him four times, actually exactly four times. I could have killed him. I call him 2.0. He's a two-year-old deer and he's like mega wide for being a two-year-old deer. Mm -hmm. His little nubs for brow tines last year. And I'm hoping to kind of get a glimpse at him this, you know, spring, summer. Mm -hmm. Um, but as a three-year-old, I think that he can be an epic deer mm -hmm. and it is still Michigan though. You know, there's a lot of people out there hunting. That's tough. So that's, that's a tough call there, man. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I mean, honest to God, score has not ever been a thing of, you know, for me, but it just is a way to identify the type of deer over a podcast that what you're talking about. Um, yep. I, I shot a buck on the 16th of November last year as well. Eight point, probably 115, 120 inch type deer. I could, you should have seen me, man. I cried like a little girl. I was just <laughs> giggly, you know, was that so, on your farm too? 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My gosh. <laughs> it just keeps getting yeah. better. Dude, that's so awesome. Well, shot, shot multiple turkeys out there. There's, there's, it's, it's been a blessing, dude. It's been a yeah. blessing. I think that illustrates something in terms of the right level of patience. I always say that that's different for everybody, but you're patient. You looked at a ton of deals. You went and walked multiple parcels. You didn't force a deal. I think sometimes people get in the trap where they force something like there's a difference of making something happen and like not being foolish and letting a few thousand dollars or a few, you know, like something break a deal, but like the right level of patience, like, you know, like you will know. And I know that's so cliche and all this, like it's, it's on, you can't measure that, but you're living proof of exactly what that is. And hopefully someone can take that away and like, and, and honestly, similar to the, the parcels that I bought, like same exact thing. Like it wasn't even like kicking it around. Like, all right. Yeah. All right. Let's, if we, if we can make it happen, we will. And like, we're not going to force it. We're not going to force it, but if it works, it works. And that's exactly kind of what it sounds like with you. Yeah. No, I appreciate that, man. It's, I feel very blessed every day to have, have a home, you know, I've never had a home, you know what I'm saying? That's like the a, thing too. You lived on a boat, you know, you're like a gypsy there for a while to sit, to sit in a home that you built. Um, it's, it's powerful. I mean, I literally look everywhere and like I had my hands on everything and just, just having a home is very, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing having a house. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that's, yeah. So do you think, uh, I always ask these people on like these first time land buyer series, or do you think you're going to end up buying more ground or like, what does this look like for you? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so, uh, painted arrow, um, we'll, we'll definitely, I'm, we're going to, we're going to buy land with painted arrow for sure. Devin, my business partner and I, yeah. um, we both, we just love land too much. We love deer hunting too much. We, uh, we want options for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're looking to buy, you know, an actual headquarters for our location for mm -hmm. our company. So that's going to be land in some facet. So we don't know what that'll look like yet. Um, but 100%. Yeah. We're going to buy land, man. That's awesome. Well, if you ever, uh, if you guys ever look in Illinois, give me a shout, I'd be happy to help you guys. Um, but yeah, anything else here that, uh, to close it out, man, like I said, this is a, this is a really cool story and I'm so glad you shared it and, uh, and, and transparent story. Cause I think, uh, there's a lot of tangible things that, that people can take out of this. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I always hear people say the best time to buy land is now. I mean, even like you have to go into it, in my opinion, with a mindset of I'm going to buy right now, because when you go into enough deals with that mindset, you'll know the right one. Like I said, like you have to, you have to be in the mindset of like, I'm going to buy, you can't do this like half in half out. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, you, you have to get your finances dialed and know what you can afford. And if it fits your, if, if it fits any of your criteria, just go walk it and then check it out. And then the right one will just make itself known. And it might take months. It might take years, but that's, mm -hmm. you have to, you have to be in the market to know yeah. that one. You won't ever know. And that's the thing too. You have to be, like I said before, I think, uh, I think it might've been this one or the one before, but like one of the biggest things is like being, being ready to strike at any moment. So like, if you are serious about it, don't like, like you're saying, like half be ready because in this scenario, you would have lost that deal because you wouldn't have had your pre-approval yep. letter. You wouldn't have been uh, organized. Had your. That's how, that's how easy, like in those deals, you look for how long at how many listings and walked how many farms and the right one was going to go quick. If you weren't prepared, like that's, yep. That's the importance of it. And I think that people think like, oh, no, I don't really. It's like people don't want to do the work to be prepared to take advantage of uh, the, the advantage like <clears throat> or the situation. And when I say that, it means like not stealing the property, but just buying the one you want, because if it's good, it's not going to last long. Yep. 100%. So, well, I think we'll, we'll close it out from there, man. I just want to say thank you once again. And uh, I have to watch that video now. I found on your guys' YouTube channel. It looks like it's about uh, 37 minutes long. Is that the, the chronicles of it? Yeah, that's it's a it's more of a documentary rather than like a you know typical white tail deer hunt. It's kind of like a detailed documentary of, but yeah, that's the one. I'm gonna watch it. So uh, thank you so much, and uh, we'll have to connect here again soon. Yep, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Land Podcast. Really appreciate. It. Hope you guys enjoyed Nate's story. I know I did. And before we close this out, pretty exciting announcement. If you if you made it this far, I'm gonna go ahead and give you a little sneak peek of what we're announcing officially tomorrow and what that is is it's the moment you've been waiting for world-class performance made simple and what we are releasing is a brand new arrow line from exodus and so 
pretty much the goal of this is uh, we've all been there, or at least you'd be lying if you said otherwise, where you're unsure if you are shooting the best arrow for what you are chasing. And we are focusing mostly on whitetail hunters. And so what we've done is we developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Here's what we demanded before bringing the Exodus MMT to market. We demanded arrows to fly with deadly accurate precision. So we use high grade components and technology to create the most accurate hunting arrow, period. Not only do you get arrows built with the same jig for exact consistency, all shafts and components are carefully sorted for build tolerances, plus or minus two grains per dozen, which is very, very accurate and it's very labor intensive as well, but we wanna get you guys the best arrows, period. So we also demanded arrows to have maximum momentum efficiency. So as bow hunters, the need for penetration is second only to a well-placed shot. Momentum is the driving factor for penetration. Maximize momentum, maximize penetration. We demanded an arrow that had deadly long range accuracy. Say goodbye to giant pin gaps or long and spread out sight tapes. We demanded an arrow that eliminated situational variables. So with the fletchings we're using, arrow recovery and components, wind speeds up to 35 miles per hour become less influential at distances up to 100 yards. The beauty of this build is precision meets strength. The Exodus MMT features a patented and proprietary 4K outer layer weave at a one-to-one -one ratio for increased torsion strength and durability while eliminating weave gaps. This offers balanced strength from all sides of the shaft, identical shaft diameters, meaning unmatched accuracy and performance. They are built from the shaft's first dynamic bend, identifying the exact spine index on every arrow ensures superior consistency, accuracy, and efficiency downrange, allowing for precision tuning much, much faster. The MMT carbon inner tube strengthens and stiffens the front end of the arrow, allowing unmatched arrow recovery, reduced energy loss by forcing the shaft into equilibrium faster and providing noticeable more downrange efficiency. So the manufacturing process uses ceramic mandrels. This allows for slower, more consistent cooling and curing for better material integrity and creates uniform shaft diameters with no taper. And lastly, fletched with airfoil technology. Aerospace technology meets wilderness. The fletchings on the Exodus MMT creates a quieter flight, faster spin rate, tighter flight profile and less crosswind effect and more efficient downrange accuracy. So awesome. Hope you guys really go check those out. We're going to be um, having more information on those on the Exodus podcast tomorrow. And you can dive in and listen to the entire process of what we went through from start to finish and really geek out about the arrows. If you want to learn more, we will also have some more videos on this product in depth. So hope you guys go check those out. If you're looking to get some new arrows, try something new check them out. They're going to be priced at 239 per dozen starting out five day build times. So an awesome product that we're very proud of. If you want to show support, be sure to go, go over there and check that out. And until next time, see you guys. Hope you have a great week. And just kidding. One very last announcement. We're giving away five dozen of these. So if you want to be entered in that, just leave a written review wherever you listen to this and you will be in the money. So I'm recording this intro June 17th. So any review after June 17th, you can be entered. If you've already left one here on the podcast, you can update it and you'll be in the running for one of five dozen MMTs going to your door, custom built for you, tailored for you. And that is it. Until next time, see ya.